Hello and welcome to the Sandro Forte podcast. Over the many years I've been running a business, I've met many, many successful people, entrepreneurs, sports stars, celebrities, and dare I say, even royalty. So what makes a person successful? Do we know what success is? And the all important question, can we create success for ourselves? This podcast series invites a diverse group of people to share their insights, their wisdom, and the things they've learned along the way. I'm absolutely thrilled to be joined today by the incredible world record-breaking Tracy Edwards MBE. What a lady. In 1989, Tracy Edwards was the skipper of the first all-female crew to sail around the world in the Whitbread Round the World Yacht Race, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. I think there's a pun there. Tracy, now a motivational speaker, had a tumultuous childhood that could easily have led her down a very different path, but sailing and her beloved boat Maiden, in effect, became her saviour. Her story is a rich and complex one, full of drama and sheer inspiration, from running away to Greece in her youth to when she nearly lost her life on one of her sailing expeditions, to bankruptcy, to setting up the first and most fantastic charity that helps raise awareness for women's education in developing countries. This woman's determination, passion, and desire to help others is sure to make this a truly jaw-dropping podcast. No pressure, Tracy Edwards, MBE. Welcome to the Sandro Forte podcast. Thank you so much. Um, Well, what can I say? Your Your name and reputation precede you. Uh, everyone I know has said you've got to get Tracy on the podcast and here we are. Thank you so much for giving up your time today. Uh, loads and loads and loads to catch up with and, and talk about in the next 30 minutes and so we will do our best to cram it all in. Um, should we start with a really basic one? Tracy Edwards, the girl, the young woman growing up, where did it all start? Uh, and then we'll start talking about a few, a few of the uh, specifics. I guess uh, my life really, really began when it started going wrong, if that makes any sense. Uh, I do, you know, and I do talks at schools. There's always one bright spark that says, Miss, do you think that you succeeded because you were expelled? And all the teachers look very nervously at me and I go, no, no, I succeeded despite being expelled. But if I'm absolutely honest, um, I, you know, I went to school in my early years to become a dancer and an actress. I think I would have been not very good at either. Uh, And it really was when I went off the rails that I started becoming me, um, which was uh, a person who was a lot more forceful and more determined to do something with her life than, than the person before that had been. So I guess, you know, it did take things to go wrong for, for me to find my feet. Uh, I don't want to dissuade children out there and young people listening from shying away from academia, of course, but it's extraordinary the number of guests we have on this podcast who've achieved extraordinary things who don't necessarily have a great educational background. You know, they've either they've been expelled or they just struggled in their exams. It is, is academic qualification, is knowledge, is intelligence, whatever you want to call it, is that a prerequisite for success? Clearly not in your case, but, but do the two go hand in hand or is it more than just that that helps to determine one's path in life? I, I guess I think, I mean, I'm not an expert, but um, I, I think that I, I wish I had paid more attention in school because when I did my second transatlantic and my skipper said to me, can you navigate? And I looked at him and I went, 
uh, mate, I was expelled before long division, so uh, no. And he said, um, he said, well, you, you, you should learn. I went, why? I said, you're the navigator. He said, what happens if I fall over the side? I went, well, there's two other guys on the boat. And then he said, well, what happens if they fall over the side? And I said, oh, for goodness sake. He said to me, the best piece of advice in my life, he said, why are you being a bystander in your own life? He said, you're supposed to be playing the starring role. And I went, blimey, okay, that's a bit profound for two days out into, into the Atlantic. But he said, you know, you, you've got to take part. You've got to. He said, I'm offering to teach you to navigate. So I went, oh, okay. I mean, I was 18 at the time. And in two days, he taught me to navigate. You know, in two days, I was doing cosines and logarithms and these hieroglyphs that I never understood became numbers. And I just thought, if my math teacher had said to me, you know, if you, if you learn maths, you can become a pirate, I would have learned maths. So I did regret at some point in my life not paying more attention to the very useful information that, that people were trying to teach me. But then when I went sailing, I was so lucky because I ended up on a series of boats with wonderful mentors. And, you know, I, I guess before that, I'd got my general knowledge and my morals and principles from my parents and a great deal more a love for life and, a, you know, the ability, I think, to grasp opportunity. But then I had all these great skippers who would teach me the next bit and then they would you know, shuffle me along to the next person and then they would teach me. So I absorbed all this information. But I guess you you do have to love what you're doing to absorb the information. If I'm honest, I think, you know, if I hadn't enjoyed it, I, I wouldn't have. Um, but then I do watch my daughter now at the age of 20, who uh, I can't remember what age she said to me, I'm never going to sail ever. And I went, um, okay. And uh, now she's working on the project that we're doing now. And she's been out on the boat and you know so she's accumulated she hasn't gone to university uh, she wants to be a photographer she you know so she's accumulating her knowledge so the answer to your question is I think we've all got to where we're going via different routes and, and what I'm so anxious to say in schools is there is no right or wrong way to get from A to B and I sit and listen to speakers who talk about having this vision and this dream you know and this going from A to B in this beautiful straight line and I'm thinking who does that? You know, life's messy and it's a, like, looks like a tangle of wool. And so that's what I try and get young people to understand is, you know, whatever way you do it, do it. Yeah. That, what I heard from you there, Tracy, was, you know, teacher, mentor. So it isn't necessarily about academia. It's about having somebody who can show you the way. You know, you call it a skipper or a mentor, but we all have one of those if we, if we look for them. I'm very interested to know about you running away to Greece. I mean, obviously... Uh, in anyone's book, that takes some courage. What what was the story around your self-imposed exile in Greece? What happened there? And I suppose the influence uh, in respect of your love of sailing that came from that as well. Well, you know, my mum was, if not the one of the greatest influences in my life. And uh, my life changed when my father died when I was 10. And she unfortunately married my stepfather, um, who was not a very nice man. And uh, he took us down to Wales, which was wonderful. I loved it, you know, the freedom and uh, the school that I went to, and even though I was bullied. Um, but uh, we had a very, but quite a physical and a very difficult relationship. And I went, I went so off the rails. It's, it's really hard to tell you how far off the rails. And I think my mum knew that I couldn't be where I was. And at the age of 16, I was expelled when I was 15. And at the age of 16, she said to me, I think you should go traveling. You know, she said, we, 
first piece of great advice, every single person is good at at least one thing. She said, you've, you've just got to go and find it. She said, you, your, your place isn't here. Um, I think more because of my friends and I, I, you know, sort of the gang I was mixing with, but her courage at allowing me to go off backpacking at the age of 16. I mean, I didn't realize it at the time, but now, you know, when my daughter was 16, I was like, Oh my goodness. No, absolutely not. Uh, so that having that um, that freedom and her, you know, sort of sending me off. And I mean, we did have a contact in Greece. And I went to work for him for a while, and then I went to work for someone else. And then I went picking olives. And um, I mean, it was it was a pretty amazing couple of years. And for me, it you know, it was this this discovery of oh, oh, this is the world. And getting onto my first boat was the discovery that land isn't the end. It's the beginning. The sea is the beginning of travel. And uh, so, you know, I'm so glad that she had the courage and the wherewithal to, you know, sort of catapult me out of what I was in to, you know, where I would end up falling over, literally falling over my own path, which is very lucky. <laughs> now, I know you, you remortgage your own home. There's a lot of people that listen to this podcast, Tracy, who you know, are a bit stuck. They've got a great business idea. They they fear the outcome and therefore they find it difficult to take those first few steps. Now, fast forward to Tracy Edwards, MBE, who remortgages her house to buy a boat, which you call Maiden. And I believe your daughter refers to it as your your firstborn. Is that is that right? <laughs> um, so, so tell us about that. I mean, that is that is one bold step. You've got to love what you do to remortgage your own home to buy a boat. Yeah, well, I mean, by that time, I'd done the 85-86 Whitbread Around the World race at the age of 21. And, um, you know, my father, uh, I was very lucky that my father did leave me some money to to buy a house. And um, but then I went off sailing and racing and fell in love with with all of that. And um, when I got back from the 85-86 Whitbread, I just thought, this is such a swizz. So before I went as the cook, because there were only three girls out of 260 crew, because the only job you could get was as a cook. And I thought, no, I'll do it. I'll, you know, if it gets me out there, I'll do it. I didn't, wasn't saying that when I got out into the ocean cooking for these guys, I can tell you. But um, so, and everyone was going, oh, it's so hard. It's so difficult. Oh, it's so tough. And oh, you're so brave. And oh, you, you might be injured and, you know, maybe die. And I got to the end and I thought, what a load of rubbish. It's, isn't difficult. <laughs> Most guys didn't like me saying that, I have to say. Um, and then I just thought, I want to go around the world as a navigator. I'm a much better navigator than a cook. I, my daughter will definitely testify to that. Um, but no one's going to let me. And another great thing my mum always said to me, she said, if you don't like the way the world looks, change it. Don't moan about it because I don't want to listen. Change it. And this, and, and the other the great thing she taught me was problem solving. And I think problem solving is something that, why don't they teach this in school? I mean, it, it's the most important thing that we will learn through our life. For me, sailing, teaching me problem solving has lasted through everything I've done sort of past that. So I sat down and I went through the problem and I thought, okay, I've got to put my own crew together oh my goodness, how am I going to do that? Well, I'll have to raise the money and I'll have to get a boat and let's make it an all-female crew and then we can prove that women can sail around the world because I know we can because I've you know, seen that. It's not that, well, I didn't think it was that hard. And uh, so we put this very um, conventional project together apart from the fact it was all girls. Now, we, we thought, you know, that we thought it would be difficult to raise the money, but the difference 
but, but how other people saw us and how we saw ourselves. We thought of ourselves as a professional sailing project and we're going through the process that everyone else is going through and everyone else is looking at us going, they're going to die. You know, I mean, this is crazy. So we couldn't raise the money. And in the end, I literally woke up at two o'clock in the morning and I thought, I cannot expect other people to put their money into this project unless I front up first. And if I do that, maybe they'll see how confident I am and have the courage. And I mean, I was terrified. But I thought, I, if I don't, what, what am I going to be saying in two years' time? Oh, I wish I'd done just a little bit more to get us to the start line. I can't live like that. So I took the plunge and um, I had a, my bank manager at the time was a uh, lovely, lovely chap. And I think he thought I was mad, but he was so helpful and so kind and took me through the steps. And then when we found the secondhand boat, which was a real wreck, I managed to persuade him to allow me to mortgage the boat to pay for the refit. I still don't quite know how I managed to do that. He's probably still, you know, twitching. Um, but this was the problem and we had to solve it. And that's how we solved it. And then that kicked off everything that sort of, you know, came, came after that. Was there, was there a particular reason, Tracy, that you wanted to be skipper of the first all-female crew? Or did, was it just the fact that you were the one that was pulling all this together and it happened that way? I mean, yeah, and, and it, you know, Maiden, to start off with, was a selfish endeavour. You know, I didn't start off going, I'm going to, you know, women's empowerment, feminism, gender equality. I mean, thoughts hadn't even crossed my mind. I wanted to do what I wanted to do. And if that meant taking women with me, then that's what I would do. It's only when I think we, the fight we had on our hands made me think, whoa, what because what I never really experienced it before. And then when we won our second leg coming into New Zealand during the press conference and no one was taking what we'd done seriously and I thought, okay, right, but that's it. I'm a feminist. I'm a feminist. I'm going to fight for women's rights for the rest of my life. This is, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. The sailing's kind of a bit secondary, although I love it. This is, you know, my, my mission. Um, and the only reason I became a skipper was I, I couldn't find anyone else who could do it. So I ended up, I was going to be the navigator and have a skipper didn't find one so I thought I'll do both. Wow now obviously you, you've um, you're very modest about all this but you know you have it's it's clear inspired a new generation of world-class I mean world-class female sailors what, what, I mean clearly you must be very proud of that but what does it mean to you on on a kind of a macro level? It's interesting because through the years I think I've gone through a number of thoughts and feelings about this so when we completed the race then we were devastated that we we didn't win and I still am actually if I'm completely honest we we knew we'd done something amazing and and we proved we'd taken the first step for women we proved that women could do it and we kind of handed the baton over to, to the next you know generation of women or women or sailors or whatever and I mean I went on to do a, another all-female challenge first all-female crew to attempt the non-stop around the world race but then I also did put together the first mixed gender fully professional racing team this is only 20 years ago six girls six of the bravest guys you've met in your life and um, a male skipper and a female skipper the most successful sailing and record-breaking team for 10 years how many people have replicated that none so what this means to me is yes we've got the message across that women can do it but men some men still see it as their domain. This is ours. No, 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 this is ours. So I think it's interesting because in the Olympics, obviously we have male classes and female classes because of our size and weight. Being small, you know, if you have one or two people, that makes a, a huge difference. 
But unfortunately, I guess for the guys who don't want women involved, ocean racing is a, is a, pl- a flat playing, level playing field. Mm. And a lot of sailing, women and men can race against each other in the same class and we can be on the same boat. So the, yes, we've come a long way in 30 years. Um, I guess we are now more proud of what we achieved. I think when the film came out in 2018, we did all watch it for the first time and go, blimey, we, we did that? That's pretty amazing. And it was, uh, yeah, we, I think it was the final piece of feeling proud of, 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 what we, of what we'd done. But now with what we're doing now, I'm looking, I'm drilling down into where we are with sailing and we are not far enough. You know, we've still got horrible stories of, of young women trying to get on boats and the way they're treated and the way they're spoken to and casual sexism and and you know it, it's it really is hard to know how to you know take this to the next level except for what we're doing now and what the magenta project is doing you know coaching mentoring young women getting them onto these boats because it's only when they get on the boats that men go oh you can sail yeah so, you know, it's, we've got to keep pushing at the grassroots, I think. Let's put your, your bravery and skill into some perspective now. We are not talking, when we speak of your sailing activities, of a leisurely jaunt round Pool Harbour. Uh, we are talking about um, a very high-risk business. So let's talk about the time you nearly lost your life uh, sailing around the world. How did, how did that affect you, Tracy? And, and actually, how did it fuel a desire to go on sailing you know when most people would say well you know that's enough for me it, it just seems to have um, pushed you even further maybe that's the kind of person you are I don't know but that the whole story around nearly losing your life and what you learned from that experience okay so yeah we we uh, this was not a great leg for us we I, I did make a mistake in the navigation I put my hand up and I, I put us in not a great position coming up to Cape Horn so that when we rounded Cape Horn which is actually quite pleasant uh, we we came up around alongside the Falkland Islands and we were met with this just horrendous wind right up it's called on the nose that's coming directly at you so you're having to tack quite frequently um, which is very wearing and it's it's like the boat is smashing into a brick wall every few seconds and it, it it's it's so tiring and stressful and wearing, it's really hard to describe. Uh, we then discovered that we were taking on quite a bit of water at about two days past, about two days past Cape Horn, and we couldn't find where it was coming in from. And by the time we started taking up the floorboards, it was pouring in. Uh, we knew that some was coming in through the mast and some was coming in through the cockpit, but the bulk of the water just seemed to be a lot. And so it really was all hands on deck. That's the only... 24 hours that we weren't racing when we were, you know, sort of on this race. We, you know, we took the sails down, we calmed the boat down, we took the floorboards up. Of course, because we'd all rebuilt this boat, we knew her like, you know, the back of our hands. So we knew everything to go through, where everything was, how, you know, we all, it was, you know, there could have been a lot of going on, but there really wasn't, you know, it was, it was people going, can you pass me that? I'm going to have a look at this. What do you think about that? You know, so it was a, uh, it was an amazing experience and I think we only realized that we might die afterwards because you're so you can't you can't have that thought at the time you, you have to get on with saving yourself and there's a great line in the film where Jenny says you know you can't say oh we've done what we can do you know we'll call the repair people there are no repair people <laughs> so you are so focused on survival that you don't have time to be scared 
afterwards, you know, when we kind of sorted everything out and got going again, then there was a lot of nervous laughter on the boat. We were all going, oh, that was close, wasn't it? Yeah, you know. So um, I think the death of, of another crew member on, on that race in particular in the Southern Ocean and our experience, it really makes you um, take a very long, hard look at your life and what you value, what you care about and what your priorities are. Mm. I've read, I might have got this wrong, but I'm, I'm sure I've read that Maiden was found in a state of disrepair in the Seychelles, obviously your baby. How did you end up parting and how did she end up there? And then the efforts that went into saving her. Yeah, so we, we finished the race, second place, pretty cool. Um, you, you know, there was a massive celebration, but uh, we still had no money. So I had to sell the boat to pay the wages. So um, we, we sold Maiden. None of us watched her go. We, we couldn't quite do that. It was one of the saddest days of my life. But I expected that she would be owned by a calibre of people that would always keep her She'd always have a good home, and she did start off with. And then I don't know what happened. She went from person to person and ended up being dumped in the Seychelles. Um, and no girl likes to be dumped in the Seychelles, let me tell you. Uh, so she, the guy ran out of money and left her there. Didn't call me, which I just find so extraordinary. Anyway, the marina finally found me in 2015. We put a huge crowdfunder together. Uh, first time I'd ever done anything like that. And we, we raised the money to buy her. Uh, so we bought her again. And we, um, just about that time, I had a phone call from King Hussein sponsored us the first time round after we'd bought the boat and got to the start line. He paid for us to do the race. And then one night I had a phone call from his daughter, Princess Hire, saying, I hear you've rescued dad's boat. <laughs> so I went, yeah, it's not dad's boat. It's, it's my boat. But uh, yeah, you know, she said, how do I become involved? I said, well, we need, we need money. So she paid for the shipping back to the UK. She paid for the whole restoration. Um, you know, she was an amazing uh, benefactor for the beginning of the project. Uh, it was a lot of work. The, the state she was in was much worse than when we first rescued her. And, uh, you, you know, she'd been sitting there for two years and rotting away and everything was pretty much irretrievable. So we spent a year and a half. Um, we didn't do the work this time. We, we had people do the work, which was like, oh, so grown up. We, you know, we're in a boatyard and there's, there's men working on the boat. <laughs> it was so cool. Um, and uh, so we year and a half relaunched her um actually prince charles and uh, the, the duchess of cornwall launched her with princess hire on september the 5th 2018 and that was amazing she looks so gorgeous i mean she's even more stunning than than she was before i may be slightly biased and then in november 2018 we started what was to be a three-year world tour working with uh, and supporting communities who enable girls into education and empower and support them to stay there through their teenage years with two problems going on in here getting girls into school and keeping them there so in developed countries it's getting them in school and in developed countries like UK and America have very similar problems with keeping them in past the age of 15 because we know between the ages of 15 and 18 their life opportunities if they're in school go up immensely so we decided we wanted to do everything um, around girls' education, the world tour. Um, we have, uh, we've just um, announced that Jamie Lee Curtis is one of our ambassadors. We call them Maiden Voices, and Whoopi Goldberg is also another Maiden Voice. They help us amplify the message. And we sell, um, we've sailed so far 33,000 miles, obviously 
we're on hold a little bit at the moment because um, of this uh, of this crisis. Uh, the girls are all at home, um, you know, sort of social distancing. I'm working from home with my daughter. Maiden is safely tucked up in Hamble. We managed to get her home um, from uh, from America. And uh, what we're doing now is we're, we're fundraising so that we can keep going after this has all ended. Um, so we know from UNESCO that not only has it been hard for 130 million girls around the world to get into school, we know that when there's been an interruption in education, the group most at risk of never going back to education is vulnerable girls and girls in poverty. So we had this problem before and now it's it's huge and it's escalated and there's so much more work to do. So we hope to be back on our world tour in September, but you know, I guess we're all waiting to see you know what happens, and uh, then we'll get back to doing what we do. So we go into port, uh, we inspire young women, we raise funds, we talk to schools, we educate yacht clubs about girls' education, how they can raise money. We do screenings. We have hundreds of school girls on the boat, which is a chaos. I cannot tell you, but so much fun. And Maiden is more than that. You know, she's not just fundraising and the practical side of getting girls into education. Maiden shows girls what they can do if just one person believes in them. And and you, I see these young girls on the boat and I see them looking at my crew and the looks on their faces. And I know they're thinking, I could do that. I could do that, you know. So that's what we're doing at the moment. Um, we do have a crowdfunder, which we launched yesterday, um, which you can find at um, www.crowdfunder.co.uk. And then we are called Made My Maiden Voyage. So it's My Maiden Voyage in Crowdfunder. You can find us there. Okay, fabulous. And in all of this, 2015, 18, and all those other events that you've, you've touched on, uh, you've been through two divorces and bankruptcy. So for those listening out there that just think it's been that straightforward upward climb to success <laughs> with Tracy Edwards, that's definitely not the case. Uh, you and I have got a lot in common, actually. Um, I also fancy myself as an actor, dancer, uh, and, and uh, musical talent when I was at drama school many, many years ago, <laughs> until my dance teacher told me I had two left feet. Uh, my acting teacher told me I wasn't going to amount to much. And I also lost my father when I was nine years old. So uh, oh. we've both been through a similar experience. So, you know, those, those are, well, I'm not going to pry too deeply into that, but just as a general comment, you know, those bumps in the road that you've experienced, Tracy. You strike me as someone who is so incredibly, you know, I, I don't like using the word positive, but you, you, you know, you speak with a smile on your face. You, you're clearly very forward thinking. You're doing all this amazing stuff to help so many people. Doesn't seem to me that you spend too long licking your wounds. Um, how, how does Tracy Edwards stay so focused on that clip, very clear mission you have in life? I try and learn from my mistakes. I think there's probably people that would, not agree with what I've just said, but um, I think I try and learn from my mistakes. I I am a person who is, uh, my daughter again will testify to this, I'm, I'm, you know, sort of up or down or, you know, my and my life has been very much like that as well. I find it actually quite hard to be negative for any length of time. It's, it's quite wearing and tiring and draining. 
Um, I mean, the bankruptcy was horrendous and I was forced into it. It was not a choice. Um, I would have done anything rather than, than do that. That was probably the lowest point in my, in my life. You know, my, my daughter was five. My mum, who's disabled, was living with us and had to go into a home. Um, that was pretty hard to pick myself up from. And I remember actually dropping my daughter off to school the first day after it happened and coming back to my kitchen and turning up a ball in the corner and starting to cry. And then I thought, if I start crying now, I'm never going to stop. So I, I'll save my nervous breakdown for when I've got through this, you know, sort of put that to one side. And then, you know, I am very lucky because I have an amazing family and a lot of wonderful friends and they absolutely kept me focused on you know the goal which was you know to to get out of this and it was my best friend who said to me you know she said you you're a great problem solver and you're a great project manager she said the next year of your life has to be a project that you have to manage and you have to problem solve and she said I think if you think of it like that you know you'll you'll get through it and I thought that is actually the way to to get through it that's not to say I wasn't you know down and emotional about it the way I stay positive is that I, okay, two phases in my life. When I was putting Maiden together, the reason I stayed positive and kept driving forwards was because I thought, if, if I fail now, the next woman that comes along doesn't just have all of the stuff I've had to deal with. She's going to get me thrown in her face again as well. So I'm going to be the, the, the shackle around her neck. So that, that responsibility is huge. This isn't just me or us or this team. This is, you know, other people coming after us. And that's how I stayed keeping moving forwards when sometimes I didn't think I could. But I think then later on in life, I feel that I've been lucky enough to have been given a voice. And I know that there are millions of women without a voice. And so I cannot, cannot walk away from that responsibility and that means me walking forwards all the time and taking steps and, you know, being positive and looking at what's around me. And, you know, and I do feel positive because I, you know, I look at this last few years, you know, where men and women are having the same conversation about gender equality. And who would have thought that 30 years ago? No one, you know, so there is positivity. You just have to look for it. And I think that the thing I would always say to people is you've just got to keep moving forwards. Um, if you stand still, nothing will happen. That is an absolute certainty. If you keep moving forwards, it may not be pretty, you may not end up where you wanted to get to, but you're moving forwards and you know, you give, you're giving yourself such a great opportunity to come across something. I, I, this may, I think I know the answer to this question from everything you said, but do you, do you look back now and regret that sailing has taken up, consumed so much of your life? Do you look back and think, oh, there's so many other things I wish I'd done? Or do, do you wish you'd actually spent more time doing the thing that you clearly love so much? Any, any regrets in life? No, I, I and that, uh, that sounds a bit trite. I mean, I, I probably would have not liked to have lost everything at the age of um, 43. That, that, that would have been good. Um, but, you know, the reasons that it happened, I, I still stand by those. And it was a battle that I had to have. Um, so no, I, I don't think I would change the amount of time I've spent um, in sailing. It's, it's interesting, though, that you say that because um, people say to me, why aren't you sailing around the world on Maiden? And I'm like, oh, I've kind of done my bit. I don't want to try and recreate what I have with Maiden because our relationship is very different to the relationship that the new crew have with her. Um, you know, have these awesome skippers, this amazing crew, this this 
I have such a great team. I'm quite happy sitting in the office, making it happen, doing the crowdfunding, doing the fundraising, um, working on the logistics, solving the problems and watching what they're doing. That's, that's kind of how I get my kicks now, <laughs> watching, my, watching my crew sail around the world. So no, I, I don't regret anything except um, maybe not becoming an archaeologist. I think that's, that's the only thing I regret. You, you, you clearly don't strike me as the kind of woman who will ever stop achieving whatever you turn your hand to. Is there any, I mean, apart from the crowdfunding, which we'll, we'll touch on again in a second. Thank you. What's, what's next for you, Tracy? Is there a next? Yes, there are. Surprisingly, in this um, very weird year, um, there's quite a lot going on. We've moved our world tour, uh, our East Coast of America tour to next summer. So this time next year, we'll, we'll be there. Uh, my book um, hopefully comes out, my third book comes out in, uh, we think, September. And there, we've just sold the rights to the feature film uh, to my life. That's weird. Um, so, yeah, so we, it's, uh, it's in script development at the moment. Um, they'll be casting in July and then it goes into pre-production in the autumn. And they're looking at it premiering in the Toronto Film Festival in 2021. So um, that is the most surreal sentence I've ever said in my life. Well, I'm not sure what makes you think that we wouldn't be interested in watching a film of your life, Tracy. Um, in the short space of time we've been talking today, all the things you've told us. So let's just talk now briefly before we, before we end this about how we find out more about the wonderful things you're doing, everything from the, the book. Um, what we are going to do, if you will allow us to, is we are going to purchase a few copies of your book and we're going to make them available as gifts for those who uh, do the usual thing of liking and forwarding the podcast. Yeah. I'd also like to offer, uh, on behalf of the Sandro Forte podcast, a donation to your crowdfunding or however you want to use this money. And we're going to thank donate £1,000 to you as a thank you for being such a wonderful guest today. So thank let's talk so about um, all the other things you're doing. If you can squeeze that in, social media... Yeah how people find out about what you're doing, uh, the child exploitation online, protection centre, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, so at the moment, we are fundraising like crazy uh, for Maiden. We need to keep her going. We need to keep getting girls into school. So uh, you can either go to www.themaidenfactor.org, which is the name of our project, or you can go to www.themaidenfactor.org crowdfunder.co.uk forward slash my hyphen maiden hyphen voyage. Okay. And social media? Do you appear on social media? Yeah. So social media, sorry. We have um, my, uh, I'm on Twitter at Tracy Edwards MBE um, and maiden is at Maiden Factor. Um, we had a bit, a bit of a battle with Iron Maiden and um, yeah, that was, that was weird as well. Uh, so we're on Instagram, uh, again, at uh, Tracy Edwards, MB, at Maiden Factor. And we also have a Facebook page. We do a lot of stuff through, stuff through our Facebook page, which is the Maiden Factor. Okay, super. Final question, Tracy. Uh, though I wish I could go on speaking to you all day. Uh, if we imagine for a second your daughter joined you in the room now and said, Mum, I've been thinking about this. Um, I'd like to follow in your footsteps. I'd like to find my way in life. I'd like to achieve uh, some success or be the very best version of myself I can be. Uh, you've got all this uh, amazing experience throughout life. Uh, but if you could drill it all down, Mum, and tell me in one simple sentence or two, 
what it takes for me to achieve the things I'd like to achieve in life? What would that mantra or uh, that piece of advice be to a younger version of Tracy Edwards, MBE? I would say, follow your heart. Never allow yourself to be distracted by those who would take you away from what you feel you should be doing, and there will be. And I would say, keep moving forwards. Keep putting one foot in front of the other, even if you don't quite know where you're going, because it will lead somewhere. That is a very, very good way to finish this podcast. I, I said at the start, it was a thrill to speak with you. Uh, as I said, we've gone speaking to you all day, but we have to call, uh, call an end to this, unfortunately. But Tracy Edwards, MBE, thank you. It's been an, an utter joy speaking to you today. And thank you for giving so much inspiration and, and some really thought-provoking takeaways to a lot of people out there from many, many different countries. So once again, for finding the time and for sharing so openly, thank you very much. Thank you so much. It's been my absolute pleasure. Thank you for joining us, of course, on the Sandro Forte podcast. Remember, every week we've got a new guest, perhaps not as good as Tracy Edwards, MBE, joining us to share their own insights into achieving success or overcoming life's challenges. So please make sure you subscribe. Follow us on social media at Sandro's Podcast, same on all channels, of course. If you want to email us with a question, it's hello at sandrospodcast.com. And please remember those two other things to connect with me, Sandro Forte. It's the real Sandro Forte on Instagram. Please leave those reviews on iTunes. And if you do, you'll automatically be entered into a draw to win one of the prizes donated by guests of the Sandro Forte podcast. And in this case, one of Tracy's books. So until this time next week, goodbye for now.